The following is a production of Art Trap Productions, brought to you by the Gallifreyan Embassy and has been made possible by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This episode brought to you by Pachak Supporting Subscribers. Go to arttrap.com slash Pachak Supporter to become a supporting subscriber. Support the show and get extra content and other bonuses. This episode brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download at audibletrial.com slash Pachak. Over 85,000 titles to choose from for your iPod or MP3 player. This episode also supported by the Pachak Podcast Companion app for the iPhone, iPad, and iPod Touch, now in the iTunes App Store. Are you the doctor? Yes. Do you have an appointment? You need an appointment to see the doctor. Please, something's chasing me. When you drink a glass of Coke, it's only this big, but it's actually got this much sugar in it. Works a bit like that. What does? The TARDIS. It's bigger on the inside than the outside. Oh, did you not notice? I just thought it was supposed to be bigger on the inside, so I didn't say anything. Well, of course it's supposed to be bigger. I must be a confused by that. I find everything confusing, Mummy, so I don't say anything. That's how come I'm in the woods. I thought Miss Oswald told me to find the doctor, but it wasn't her. It was just in my head. Miss Oswald, dark hair, highly unpredictable, surprisingly round face. Everyone says she's in love with Mr. Pink. The PE teacher. Maths, I really like him. I was in his group. Mr. Pink was looking at you, well, that explains why you're lost. It doesn't surprise you that I know all about your school. Everyone seems to know everything about everything apart from me. Well, that's not quite true. I, for instance, have no idea why the terrestrial navigation starts up, closes down all the other systems. You should ask somebody who knows. Mm, that's another of the drawbacks of being the last of your species. No one to ask when your TARDIS won't start. You have reached your destination. No, we haven't. We're supposed to be in the middle of London. You have reached your destination. Oh, stop saying that. She's only saying it because it's true. We are in the middle of London. We are in the middle of a forest. Come and see. Nelson's column. Do you like it? Do I, sorry, what? Do you like the forest being in Fag Square? I think it's lovely. Live from inside of a bush, it's Doctor Who, Podshock. The Gallifreyan Embassy presents Doctor Who Podshock, episode 316, 316. This is Louis Trapani, and joining me on this show is Dave A.C. Cooper. Hello, hello, hello. Hey, Dave, how are you doing? He's been oh, swallowed by the forest. The bush. I'm here. He's been. I was behind the bush. He's been engulfed <laughs> by the forest. Overgrown. Yeah, the, suddenly the bush, the bush flew away and revealed me. <laughs> there I am. Yeah. Well, I, I think it happens to the best of us. Indeed. So I hope you had time to uh, water your plants and 
um, prune your leaves and <laughs> change oh, your... Oh, I'm thinking especially good care, then they might come in handy one day. You never know. Put some new fertilizer yeah. down. Lots taking very good care of them. Oh, it seems a bit strange that they've got nuts, flowers, and fruit all at the same time. It's a um, montage of, um, of I don't know, <laughs> of, uh, it will come to me later. <laughs> but I'm glad you're here, Dave, because I, once we get into our review, I, I do have, uh, I, I do have some questions to ask you as far as um, some little cultural references in the UK. So I'm going to be uh, picking your, your seeds and, uh, well, I'll be picking your brains. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm Monty Don okay with that. All right, good. That's one of them. <laughs> that's, you, I you, knew you, it would be. That's one of them. All right. So uh, as you probably can tell, we're going to be shortly, we'll be re reviewing the latest Doctor Who episode that just came out, um, that was transmitted yesterday, Saturday, today, Sunday, and that is um, In the Forest of the Night. So uh, it's, uh, it's um, episode 10 of this series, I believe, yes. And um, it means we have uh, two more to go, not counting the Christmas special later this year. So, um, but we'll get to that in a minute. We do want to, uh, as always, turn our eyes and our ears, since this is an audio podcast, so, um, and our mouths to, uh, to the news of Doctor Who. And, um, you know, we had, we had a passing last week, unfortunately, um, and we have another one this time, this week as well. Uh, though um, we've, we had reported on her before, a, f a few weeks ago, Linda Bellingham, who had, um, was vocal about her battle against cancer. And, um, you know, where I, I, if I believe correctly, um, a few weeks ago we reported it and she said that, correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, I think he, she was going to um, forego further treatments and just she wants to wanted to go out the best way she could with and, and see another holiday season or something to that yeah, effect. Yeah, she was, she was hoping to see Christmas. She loves Christmas as yeah. a, a, a time of the year, and she was hoping that uh, uh, that it was sapping her strength, although it was probably going to prolong her life, it was sapping her strength. So she wanted to be able to actually enjoy mm -hmm. uh, those who, uh, but sadly, uh, that was not to be. Yeah, unfortunately. Now, for those that are unaware or are not familiar, she had played the Inquisitor. Uh, it's um, a time lady, a time uh, a, a Gallifreyan, of course, um, in a 1986 Colin Baker story. Um, it was actually it was um, um, a, a a season a, 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 that encompassed. It was. It's one of those. Story arcs of all story arcs, the trial of a Time Lord, which encompassed the whole entire series of that year. Um, so there were there were multiple stories within that larger story, and um, so she played the the Inquisitor, and she had passed away at age sixty six. Hmm. Uh, known uh, as well in the um, in the UK for. For, for lots of other projects, but yes, uh, that's yeah. the one that we're referring to here, yeah. The Trial of Time Lord was a, the 14-part story, um, which replaced what was going to be, uh, what what became known as The Lost Season, didn't it? That's mm -hmm. recently had um, uh, been done as uh, audio adventures, but uh, yeah, she she was the sort of uh, person that was in charge of the uh, the trial itself. Yes, that's quite an yeah. important role. 
Yeah, she reprised the role in uh, some big Finnish audios as well. Um, I, I I'm not familiar which ones, but I I know that she you know she appeared in at least one of them. But yeah, she was it was a major character in that series. Um, that was an again that was 1986, and um, the doctor at the time was Colin Baker, and this was after eight the there was an 18 month. Was it 18 months or six? Yeah, it was 18 months hiatus that Doctor Who was on. And when it came back, um, it was a uh, trial of the Time Lord. And, um, you know, it, it's, it, was, it was basically, you know, the series, you know, it was a lot going on behind the scenes. I'm not going to get into it. That's, that's for another. We've, we spoke about it in the past. You know, not, not with her, but with the BBC and the BBC controller and Doctor Who and where the show was going and all that. But uh, unfortunately, there was a hiatus. And when it came back, they did the trial of the Time Lord, and as Dave said, that w- whatever they had planned for the year that that missing year um, is is sometimes referred to as the lost season or lost series or lost. Yeah, the audio adventure was called uh, Trial of the Valyard, the big Finnish production that she oh, surprised the role in. All right, very good. Thanks. So it's a sad loss, yeah. I mean, it's especially since she had just recently said that she wanted to enjoy, you know, an, you know, one final holiday season, you know, with her full strength, as you said. So uh, unfortunately, that didn't come to be. Mm. All right. Well, any other? Oh, um, Kyle was um, kind enough to. Uh, we have a chat going on while we're doing this, so feel free for anyone that's um, listening live or listening after the fact. If you want to, even if you don't want to participate vocally on the show, you could participate in our chat, a live chat that goes on at the time. So uh, Kyle was kind enough to uh, put some of the overnight overnight ratings in the UK. It's um, so uh, 5.03 million. Is um, up from the overnight of last week of four point six. Right. And again, that's probably doesn't count. You know, that's just the overnight, so it, it doesn't count all the other ways of seeing the episode. Yeah. And flatline the official final ratings for that are six point seven one million. Yeah, that's good. All right. Any any other news that we should be aware of? I don't think so. No, except that if you if you are one of the people that uh, collects uh, Doctor Who uh, things, these um, the TARDIS Siege mode is now one uh, of the latest yes. uh, yeah. things that you can buy. The uh, produced by Rubber Toe Replicas. Yeah, that uh, didn't take long. It's a beautiful looking object. <laughs> yeah, but it looks about the size of a Rubik's cube, maybe a little bit larger, mm-hmm. uh, but with all the the, the actual decals that you saw on screen. It actually looks rather rather authentic. It looks good. Yeah, yeah. I saw um, images of it. It looks good, yeah. I, obviously, they were, they were obviously had to be working on this before the episode, you know, was transmitted. So, and then they, they timed the release to go out afterwards. All right. All right. Well, as always, before we begin our review, we have to um, give fair warning. Spoilers. Spoilers. Again. Spoilers. Spoilers. 
All right, so if you haven't seen In the Forest of the Night, now is your time to uh, maybe to uh, take this episode of Dr. Pachak, put it in the forest, plant it, and come back later when it's fully grown and you've seen the episode. You are always showing me amazing things. Well, I, Doctor, have finally got something amazing to show you. Yes, well, there are some things that I've never seen. I choose them because I've chosen not to see them. Even my incredibly long life is too short for Le Miserable. Oh, Doctor, you are going to love this. Well, when you come to collect this child, you can tell me then. Huh? What child? Young female human, standard defenseless little girl. Your friend, Mr. Pink, was supposed to be looking after her. She probably has a name. Good point. You, have you got a name at all? Maeve. My name's Maeve. What? Maeve? Where are you? Trafalgar Square. I found her wandering around the brand new forest. Brand new forest? Yes, it's like the new forest, except even newer. Is that the forest that's covering London? Was that the amazing thing that you were going to show me? It is amazing, but I saw it first. Look, is she all right? Will you bring her over? I can't bring her over. I'm a time lord, not a childminder. You've got a spaceship. Well, we've got our oyster cards. And I've got a global rapid deforestation crisis to deal with. Ah, there's the... That clip contained one of the questions I had to ask you, Dave. <laughs> Before the show started, I told Dave I, there was a few uh, cultural things, I think, that I needed to... I'm glad he was on board so I could, I could pick his brains and um, see what fruit he has on his limbs. <laughs> uh, the, oyster, the oyster card, I think. Yes, yes, the oyster. Uh, what is she referring to as oyster cards? Is oyster card is a prepaid card that you have on the London Underground ah, I mean, okay. uh, and for transport. It's one of these near-field cards that I you, can, you. Uh, you, you wave over as you go in. Uh, I mean, the London Underground has some, like, done... Uh, 10 million journeys a week or a day or something stupid. No, it must be more... I don't know what it is, but uh, it's basically to get people through the underground system very quickly, uh, and it is used on other transport buses. Virtually everybody in London has done. You put so much credit on it, and every time you go through, it just you just swipe it, and it takes the credit off. So that's what an Oyster card is. Yeah. It's not exactly a sonic screwdriver, but it does get you through certain locked doors. Oh, of course. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm sure a lot. And New York City has something similar to that. I'm sure most cities with, with mass transit systems have uh, similar cards. They're just not called oyster cards. So since uh, oysters are usually found in the, in, in the sea, in the ocean, you know, uh, one's not, you know, one doesn't immediately associate that with uh, public transportation. All right. Unless you're, you know, submariner. Or, you know, Aquaman. <laughs> All right. So let's get to uh, to the to this episode. It's written by Frank Cortell Boyce and it's um, directed by Sherry Folkson. And apologies if I'm mispronouncing any of those names there. So and I don't think I can do any better. <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> It runs uh, roughly about 45 minutes. I think it was like 45 and change, if I recall correctly. And uh, um, again, this is um, in the forest of the night. It's um, 12th Doctor Peter Capaldi is the um, is the doctor is the as the doctor. Jenna Coleman, as always, is Clara Oswald, and Samuel Anderson is back as Danny Pink. 
And it's, um, um, well, it's, I think this is, I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but I, I think this is sort of a story that's the quiet before the storm, as it was, you know, and, you know, right. when, you know, we'll get to it later, you know, for, our, we'll preview next episode, whatever. But I, I think when you do see the previews, you see what might be coming. This might be just, like I said, the little, a little episode, a little quiet before the storm. We have a lot of guest stars as far as uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to go through them all. Um, Abigail Ames, uh, or Eames, if I'm pronouncing Eames, that, I think it's pronounced, yeah. Is, yeah. Plays Mabe, which she's, she's a prominent. I mean, there are a lot of, there's, there are a lot of school children in this episode, um, you know, uh, but she, she, she's obviously one of the prominent ones. And a very good job at it all. She did too. Yeah, she did a great job. Um, I think the effects were great. Where, you know, London is overgrown with foliage. There are many shots of, um, you know, they went to an actual forest and they they shot there, and then they obviously had to do some CGI work, adding buildings and whatever um, into the forest. And there were some overhead shots, and there were um, shots of like landmarks, um, um, you know, th- that that were incorporated into it. And I think that was done very well. Um, uh, there, there's, there's, um, in that opening scene with, with Mae and the doctor, uh, I like, I love that scene where she, um, the camera's taking a point of view tracking of the TARDIS perimeter, that, that little gantry that runs around the perimeter of the console room of the TARDIS, which, we don't really we hadn't really seen that view before with you know as if you were walking in front of them while he while both of them were walking i I just like that shot it was nice uh it was a different shot you know something that was not not overly used right so but anyway so the story picks up there are school children that are sleeping over in a museum now, is this something that's commonly done in the UK, Dave? Is having sleepovers in museums? Well, they do do uh, educational trips. I mean, they they were yeah. basically in the centre of London. They were supervised by two teachers. There was only a group of about ten of them. But why uh, it's sleep- getting less and less common? But I mean, it, but so, well, so but this is something that they that that does happen. You have sleepovers in museums. I, I'm just uh, <laughs> just amused by it. Well, well. It's more likely to be used as an actual real party rather than an educational visit. Uh, I would imagine the main thing was that they were having an educational visit, mm-hmm. uh, and that was just linked in to make it more of an adventure for the children and also to get them into this period of jeopardy while they wake up in the morning. Um, but the sleepovers in, in events like this are actually more likely to be family-arranged parties, you know, uh, so that the kids oh, sure. don't let their house. Uh, they 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 have a, a sleepover arranged, so I think it was just sort of slightly uh, modifying the truth. Uh, certainly, um, school trips and outings are a feature of uh, UK schools, although because of the the risk of some child coming to some injury or jeopardy, uh, teachers are less likely to do it now because of being litigation or whatever you are. If you take them on a canoe and some kid drowns or something, which has very, 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 very occasionally happened in the last 20 or 30 years, 
but it's enough to cause issues. I think it was basically a plausible way of getting the children into that situation and not totally unknown. Oh, yeah, well, they, they made it seem like it was commonplace. That's why I was asking you. I mean, of course, there's... In the States, there are school trips to museums, you know, all the time. I mean, I, I've gone to many in my, when I was a youngling, you know, but never could I ever imagine, you know, having a sleepover in a museum. Not that, you know, a museum wouldn't even allow that. I mean, I, I don't know. But so it just seemed a little unusual. But like I said, that's why I'm glad you're here to kind of fill us in. Um, I'm not criticizing it. I'm just saying it's, um, it's something that doesn't happen here. At least not to my knowledge. All right. So, uh, so we we're, we see the museum. I mean, first again, this is a lot of nonlinear editing that seems to be prevalent in this series of Doctor Who. And you know, this year started. Don't think it was in the first episode, but I think starting with um, Into the Dalek, we saw um, this nonlinear editing where. You know, we're we're seeing some scenes, and then we go back to see some previous scenes that you know that we hadn't seen before that took place prior to what we had already seen. And it seems to be a style that's um, that's uh, I don't know if I want to say overused, but it just seems seems to be um, used very heavily in this series. I don't know if if it means anything. Some people are reading into maybe it's Stephen Moffat doing something that's trying to manipulate us. I don't know. We'll see. Who knows? But it's um, it just seems a little unusual that it's it's so prevalent in this series because um, we, we first right. we see Mabe on the you know meeting up with the doctor, bef- you know, and then we go back to them waking up in the museum, and um, so uh, that's the reason why I bring it up. So it's interesting. Um, this was spotted in, in the in the trail. I didn't spot it, but other keen-eyed Doctor Who fans that <laughs> go that that go frame by frame. You know, when they have the next time preview, you know, the trailer for the next episode had someone had spotted it. That uh, when they do open up the museum doors and they see the overgrown growth of foliage and um, trees and whatnot, they see a bus. And this bus has, uh, you know, it's it's your London, your typical double-decked um, London red bus. Um, but it happens to have a, an ad on the side of the bus for Doctor Who, <laughs> which which you wouldn't, if, I mean, a casual viewer would not be able to see it. And even when I still framed the, the actual episode, there's a tree or something blocking Peter Capaldi's face on the ad on the side of the bus. So uh, you don't really... Um, yeah, you really would have to study it to really catch it. I think it's just a little Easter egg they threw in there. Right. Which, by the way, is not a real bus. If you, there's, as always with each week, there's a Doctor Who extra episode that um, it's about a ten minute behind the scenes um, look about the making of that episode. So it's it's actually like a cardboard uh, stand-in, if you will, for that they placed in the forest. Um, to um, simulate a bus. Right. All right. Well, so um, so we're in a museum. Um, we're coming out with London's overgrown. Well, not just London. We see uh, TV reports from all over the world. There's Paris. Uh, we see the Eiffel Tower over, you know, forests have taken over that as well. So it's, it's not limited to London, even though um, this is focused on London and um and if you did, if they didn't have that television 
um, segue there with all those TV reports, you might just assume that it was only happening in London. So I think that was the reason why they, you know, they had to include that, that it was sort of a worldwide type of thing. Yeah, and when they panned out uh, from, and you showed the whole planet, the thing that, that, that rather surprised me is that not just the land was turned green, but the sea was turned green, which I, I, I'm not too sure why they did that, because there was a lot of emphasis that these were trees, uh, not just any foliage or anything. So one would imagine there could be plankton blooms on the seas, but th that wasn't explained at any point. Yeah, well, we saw, I mean... And, you know, jumping ahead to the end, when they all, when, when everything disembarks, it all turns into like this fairy dust or whatever, and, and it was covering buildings and whatever, uh, you know, so it, it seems to have been growing, you know, everywhere, you know, um, not just in soil. All right. Well, so, they made the point that they, that they grew between cracks and so on. They didn't yeah. make that point. Yeah. So that was why, uh, you know, the pavements and so on were covered. But that still doesn't explain the sea being covered. Yeah, well, <laughs> there's a lot in this that wasn't explained. Um, okay. So getting back to, uh, I, I guess I'll get them out of the way. Some, some further... Uh, some further questions to pick your UK brain. So th there's a reference to um, um, to Monty Don. You had mentioned that earlier. Uh, can you fill us in on that? Yeah. Yeah, Monty Don is a TV gardener. He is uh, uh, Gardener's World. He's the one that presents it and has been presenting it for quite some time since the last host left it. He also now has a program about small gardens and so on. So basically... Um, when when Clara was being facetious and funny about that was that, you know, who are you going to call Monty Don, meaning a gardening expert? I got you. You know, your garden's overgrown, you'd call Monty Don. So that that was the, the flippant remark she was making. Everybody in the UK would have known that reference. I, I figured as much, so... Um, that's but that's what makes Doctor Who interesting. That's why I, I love that it's a British series and I, I would hate to uh, see it, you know... Produced elsewhere and not be a, still be a. I mean, it could be produced elsewhere but as long as it's made. Yeah, as long as it's still a British production. Um, uh, but anyway, thank you for that. Um, All right. So and then while the, while they were speaking, um, I think Clara and Danny were speaking about uh, speaking of Mape. Um, they had mentioned that you know she's um, she's troubled and she's um, I you know she, that she's. You know, she had lost her sister, and um, and I, I, you know, I'm paraphrasing what what, she, what they were saying together. But at one point, they, I think, Danny had said that she's CRB checked, and uh, I, I'm, I'm assuming that's some sort of eval mental evaluation. I'm no, 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 no. That's uh, I can't remember what the exact. Uh was, but it means that they've done a background check that oh, you're okay. allowed to work with children and that, you know, a nutcase is likely to, you know, abuse the child or something. So right. it's, um, it's a background check on somebody who has a job working with children and young people. Okay. See, Dr. Pachuk's educational here. <laughs> we try to be. <laughs> 
And uh, all right. Now, lastly, I'm sorry, Dave. I, I, I see I'm, I'm putting you. I'm, I'm testing you. You're going to school here. Actually, I'm being schooled. I'm being educated. Uh, lastly, I'm assuming right. this means grading. Um, and later on in this episode, they're talking about um, that that Clara. That Danny's talking to Clara and saying that you still, you have to do your marking. And I'm assuming that's like grading in, in the states. They have teachers have to grade papers, grade homework, or grade things. And I'm assuming when she says you have to, do, you have to, you still have to do your marking. I'm assuming that's what they're refer, that's what they're referring to, unless it's something else. Yeah. Well, of course, he was he was jibe, giving her a jibe as well because one of the reasons that he knew after all these weeks and weeks that had gone by when he thought she'd already uh, stopped mm-hmm. seeing the doctor. Uh, you know, uh, and she was basically lying to him. Uh, uh, and in this episode, of course, she finds the books that she'd left, and he noticed that, uh, and he refers to it that last Friday you were in the TARDIS. You weren't at home marking your 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 homework, and it is the the, the sort of projects. Now, at this sort of age, these sort of children, aged what eight to eleven, they probably only get uh, one or two lots of homework a, a week, maybe a couple of hours homework a week. You know, maybe some projects on the Tudors or Queen Elizabeth the First or something like that. So um, that, that, yeah, but the teacher does the, uh, that marking. So there was a pile there of a class's books that, um, and luckily for us, that that played into the story because there's a couple of dates. Although I think there was a, an error in that. Um, for instance, um, Danny knew that. Um, uh, they'd been left there because he could see the date that the children marked. Uh, you know, the t- children are supposed to put the name, the date they do the homework at the top of the page. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, when the doctor had seen what the young girl had written there, or the drawing she'd done of the sun bursting with this coronal mass ejection, um, uh, he said it referred to today. So presumably the girl had both dated the, the, the date she'd done the homework when she was writing of this story that come into her head, but she'd also put in the date of when what in the story was going to happen, and that was the day of this adventure. Yeah, yeah. So they slightly missed that out, I think. Yeah, I... Um... Yeah, because uh, that's what I'm, I I was guessing the same thing that that she was because um, because they made a they made a point of saying that it was today's date. Right. All right. Let's. Um, I'm going to play another clip and we'll talk more about Into the Forest of the Night. The rings mark the years of growth. One ring for each year. This grew up overnight. That whole tree is the result of just one night's growth, and they're still growing. Everyone, this is the Doctor, and he's going to sort everything out. Isn't that right, Doctor? It's what he does. Well, having looked at things, I think probably the answer to that is no. He always says that. He's really clever. Oh, yes, I am. Very clever. But what use is clever against trees? They don't listen to reason. You can't plead with them. You can't lie to them. There have been no moving parts, no circuits. This is a natural event. How can it be natural for a tree to grow in one night? Exactly what they said about the Ice Age. How can whole glaciers just pop up out of nowhere? Well, they just did. That's how this planet grows. A series of catastrophes. Farewell to the Ice Age. Welcome to the Tree Age, possibly. When the Ice Age was here, you lot managed to cook mammoth. Now that there's a forest, you just have to eat nuts. Can't eat nuts. Got an allergy. Don't worry. It's a thing he does. He pretends he's not interested, and then he has an idea. He's playing the time. Time? Interesting. 
See? Clever kicking in. Gee, there's a time machine. You planted a little acorn in 1795, and in the year 2016, there's an oak tree there in the same spot with a tiny little bit of 1795 still alive inside of it. You can't create a whole overnight forest with extra special fertilizer. You have to mess with the fabric of time and communicate with trees. So uh, communicate with trees. So it is interesting here at this point of the story. Uh, I mean, the doctor's foe, or um, for lack of a better word, is are, are the trees, and he's and and he's unable to communicate with them. And it, it's similar to last week with the boneless, where you know he tried and wasn't able to communicate with them either. So, but it, I mean, it's interesting having an adversary uh, where it's they're just you know. It, it, where it's just on the surface level, it just seems to be nature. But you know, then there's no technology for him to interact with, yeah. and no intelligence that he can he can try and manipulate and tell mm-hmm. lies or uh, or, or browbeat or say you know, look in the books every time the doctor this planet is protected and yeah. all this uh, bravado and bluff. Well, not bluff really, but um, track record. There's no way you know you can't argue against that it's sort of a bit like uh, you know can you and the the and the uh, try and stop the waves i mean it doesn't matter how important you are the waves don't acknowledge you and uh, i think that's the sort of analogy he's trying to draw here yeah and obviously he can't use a sonic screwdriver you know he's always said that you know he doesn't work on wood so and uh and I, there's even a reference in in this episode uh, clara says you know it's not a magic wand and which I'm, I'm constantly complaining about because it's often used as one. So uh, um, I think there's a lot of interesting ideas and concepts in this story. Um, I'm not sure how it's all realized, if it all works coherently or, or, or works well in this story, but I, I think there's a lot of good ideas in it. Um, though, I, well, um, I, I have to say, though, um, you know, I, I was really giving a lot of... Uh, a, a good chance and you know giving it a fair chance but I, halfway through it I have to be honest I, I was I was getting a little bored with it it just it, it seemed like it just really wasn't the momentum wasn't picking up and it was um, as interesting as it was I, I have to say that I, I was losing a little interest so maybe that, that maybe bored isn't the right word but losing a little interest in it you know where uh, I think I, I got up and got a glass of water, <laughs> you know, where normally when I'm watching Doctor Who, everything else stops, you know, and I'm just, you know, paying direct attention. And, and at this point, I I think at the, I I don't know. So but let's 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 continue on. I, it's um, I, I don't mean to, um, you know, foreshadow a, a, a dim or dire uh, review here. It's not so. Um, but. It's not an overjoyous one either. Um, I don't think you're alone in that. Uh, I mean, one of uh, one of the the people that commented on on our uh, Facebook page, uh, Michael Bontv, he put. Um, I think the question shouldn't be is Doctor Who too scary for adults, but instead is Doctor Who too boring for adults? Yeah, I don't know. I, it's... I think I think I think I think that should have been is Doctor Who too scary for kids? are too boring for adults. But I didn't find it so, but um, you finish your comments, please. Well, 
Um, yeah, I'm going to play this one. This goes to the dates. Um, here's another clip concerning um, the date. We're looking for a little girl. Stay back. We're about to burn. control the oxygen on this planet. They withhold it, they smother the fire. What sort of forest is clever? What sort of forest has its own inbuilt fire extinguisher? What do they want? Why now? What do you mean, why now? The whole natural order is turning against this planet. But why? Why now? Well, what else? How did she know this? What is it? This is a massive solar flare headed for Earth, like the one that destroyed the Bank of Karabraxos. I've got an entire TARDIS, and I didn't notice this, but she knew how. This is Maeves. Where did you get this? You left your marking on the TARDIS. Oh, great, right. Well, that's just brilliant, isn't it? You don't think Danny saw this, do you? I've just informed you that a solar flare is going to wipe out your planet. You're worried about a row with your boyfriend. How does she know this? She even put the date on it. I always make them date their homework. It's today's date. So that goes to the point that you were saying before that she was probably forecasting the date for when this was going to happen. And so right. Uh, so there'd be two there must have been two dates. There must have been the date at the top of the page when the child was writing it. But again, that that is not inconsistent because the fact that although it was not described well, if the doctor then sees that it got today date, then then that would also give the 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 feeling that this girl is foretold uh, had advanced knowledge of this event. And uh, I love that line where he says, you know, I just told you the year's going to end and you're worried about you don't, your boyfriend's caught you out in a lie. <laughs> well, this, I, I'm going to get to that later, but this seems to be an ongoing thing uh, with Clara and Danny and, and trying to be truthful and, um, and, and also her relationship with the doctor. And, and there's parallels between that relationship and her relationship with, with Danny, but um, I have more to say about that later on. Um, that, that's, that's not okay. really um, so much pertaining to this episode, but maybe um, as a series, the series as a whole. But, um, but, but getting back to this episode, you know, using Mabe as a character, which has been done before, but it's interesting when they do it, um, you know, when... when when someone might have um, maybe a, what we might perceive as a learning disability or, or, or we might classify them as autistic or something or um, ha having difficulties or something like that, maybe they're, they're not and they're actually, um, you know, there's actually something else going on that we're just unaware of. And, you know, that concept, I think, you know, that's what they were trying to do here with her. Um, I, I, you know, I think we've seen it before, maybe not necessarily in Doctor Who, but in other, other, other things in this genre. Um, so I, I think that was a nice concept, a nice idea to explore. Um, I, well, I, I don't want to bring up Fear Her, but maybe, you know, that, that little girl and that. Uh, <laughs> but I... You know, as I was saying, as I was implying before, so um, I I'll, I'll guess I'll, I'll jump ahead and give my 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 feelings on this story is that um, I didn't hate it, I, you know, I but I didn't especially like it either. I, I mean, I, it was interesting, but like I said, I didn't really um, 
I, I, I began to lose interest in it at, at some point during it. And to me, that's not a good sign. And maybe I might feel different watching it again and again, but um, it just seems like it was just missing something. Again, I, like, like I said, I, I didn't hate it. It's, it's, I, I rate it better than Rings of Akatan. And speaking of Fear Her, Fear Her, and Love and Monsters, it's, it's, not, in that, it's not in that category, but um, it's below middle of the road for me. So like I said, though, I think that was maybe about- intentional, maybe as, the, as the, maybe things to, to quiet things down, because, you know, as we're going to see with, when, when we get to it for the trailer for next time, I think things start escalating. So maybe this was just meant to be um, a sit back, you know, catch your breath typer story. How do you compare it to, say, um, the rest of this series so far? I'll say robots of sure, sure would. I, so I, I like robots. Sherlock. I, I, I like robots better. This is uh, I, again. I, I would say this is the the the, the least liked story so far of, of this series for me. Um, again, I'm not saying that I hate it. I'm just saying that it's just it, it falls short of middle of the road type of thing. It's I, I, I'm going to give I'll give my Tardis groanings right now. It, um, it's it's going to be two out of five. Um, I give this, which is when you think of two and a half being right there in the middle of five. So it just falls a little short of being, you know, average. Uh, and did it drop? Did it drop down half a percent on your second view? You said you said you've watched it second. I, or did it? I mean, has it gone up to a two? Or has it dropped well, down? Well, I don't know. Two? I mean, because the, the second viewing, you don't have those expectations. You know what you know what to expect. So sometimes. Usually things are usually better on the second viewing because you those um, you know what's coming. You're, you're not gonna you're, you're not gonna when you're watching it for the first time. You think, oh well, maybe things will start getting better as we get you know in the second half of the episode or after we after we maybe learn this or learn that. And um, we I don't know we we've we learned that that Mabe is speaking um, communicating with the. Well, the, the the trees speak to her, and there's like these that little, are a little like f- fairies, like little I don't know, little dust, little lightning lightning bugs <laughs> that are uh, that appear, and that's why she's waving her hands in the air, and we don't see them, but she was seeing. I guess no, she wasn't seeing them because when they did appear, she said how beautiful they were. So. Um, I don't know. It, it, I, I still don't know where you know. Are these tra- are these trees? Um, they they seem because at the end when they all leave, they turn into this fairy dust and leave the planet. So are uh, are these alien trees? Or, I mean, it's it's not the Earth protecting itself, or is is there some sort of intelligence behind this that planted that that brought the trees to protect the Earth? These these special trees. Well, I, I'm, I'm assuming that they were supposed to be like Gaia, if you've heard that term before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which um, supposed to be like a Mother Earth, sort of spirit of the spirit, yeah. spirit of the earth. So they're not the same as ordinary trees, because when when they disappear at the end, the ordinary trees down the streets uh, are still there. I mean, the the final scene where the mother and daughter go back to the house. There's just one of these bushes left that then reveals the the missing sister. But um, yes, the, the, 
that, that's the fairy tale aspect I didn't like of it because they were sort of enchanted trees in one respect. Yeah. Well, and, um, and and Danny at one point says that he was enchanted. I mean, this story was obviously a play on fairy tales and how forests always, you know, seem to always incorporate folklore or, or, or incorporate it in folklore and fairy tales, and that's what they were exploring here, really. And it was very much like a, a fairy tale type of a story, and I guess maybe that was, um, you know, I, I, I think... When it, I mean, I don't want to say magic, but whatever. I, I, with with Doctor Who, I like to see a little less magic sometimes, and um, a little less fairy tales. Um, and and I, th- I think that's what they were playing with this episode. It was a it was a play on fairy tales and forests. And and again, I don't mean to bring up the the extra because we're not reviewing the that ten minute extra thing. But they they made a point of saying. Oh, no, actually, maybe the Doctor says it in this story, saying that uh, humanity's ultimate fear is forests or something like that, you know, where um, it, it's it's something that, that um, you know, I, I guess, you know, it goes back to, you know, earliest of, um, of mankind, if you will, you know, we, we had to climb out of the forest and, and build civilizations, whatever, and forest still holds that certain fears you know be it wild animals you know we had the they, they they brought that in with the with the wolves and the and the tiger and um so there's a lot of inherent dangers in forests and um jungles well yeah i mean there's the the old theory of as well of the of um the green man i think i don't know the, you you have the association of the green man but that's a a, a mythic creatures connected with trees and forests um, there's quite a few pubs in the UK called the Green Man, based on that, and uh, there's even a Green Man Festival here in the UK. I'm not even sure whether it's in Wales, actually. So it has nothing um, to do with Incredible so, Hulk. Um, no, no, no. <laughs> um, I'll put the wiki page link in the room, but uh, yeah. So, uh, but I thought it was more to do with Gaia. So mm-hmm. I don't know. You want me to just? Oh, put yeah. Out a few yeah, yeah, I have. Yes, please do. Okay, well, um, I, I, I shouldn't have liked this, and I, I'm not going to rate it particularly highly, but I certainly, I, I think I was, I'm going to give it three out of five. Uh, and it was very lavishly done. I thought the, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I thought the CGI effects were more relevant to last week's topic, Flatline, and they really enhanced that topic, uh, that story, and it was really integral to the whole thing. Here, it, you could argue it was more set-dressing, uh, and that was giving this idea of this thing. Now, I did think it was going to go even more uh, fairy tale than it did. I mean, when when one of the children started talking about wolves and this, that and the other, uh, I thought, well, actually, they were going to go really as though they'd gone into a sort of a parallel world and, and they were really going to get things like this. But at least that was explained away in terms of, you know, the, the London Zoo or whatever, and these were... These were, weren't wild creatures. Indeed, the doctor and Clara and the child make themselves big and uh, frighten, frighten the foxes, uh, the wolves away, rather. Uh, they weren't that thing. But, of course, they couldn't do that when the tiger came. And, as it happened, that young guard, uh, lad that had uh, disobeyed the rules and brought in a very powerful one of these sort of LED torches, uh, the teacher, Danny Pink, and he was at least able to show that the reason he didn't come with the Doctor is not because he's afraid of that sort of adventure. Uh, he's basically had his fill of these sorts of adventures. Mm-hmm. 
and more about that in a moment. But he does save the day, saves Clara. Uh, and there's a couple of other things where we actually see Clara spending time with Danny. And I think he's he's definitely there to put a stark choice in front of the companion. You know, she either extends her time uh, travelling... You see, it wasn't so bad with... Um, well, I shouldn't say it wasn't so bad. But with Amy and Rory, they were both ageing at the same time. So in other words... Uh, if they had to make excuses to their friends and relatives, at least they were both, uh, you know, they got away for three years, they'd both aged three years. Where with Clara and Danny, um, you know, we, he would... It get, it's getting to a point where uh, she's going to have to choose whether she's going to have more adventures with the Doctor. I'll go with Danny. Or the third option would be, of course, to get Danny on board. Mm-hmm. And at each and every opportunity... Uh, that she's thought, well, let's see if I can win him round on this. He's shown absolutely no thing. Now it's not it's not like with with um, with Rose and her her partner uh, Mickey. Aged, uh, Mickey. Uh, Mickey was frightened to go on the TARDIS, wasn't he? I mean, he changed dramatically from the Mickey that we first see in the side street where oh, sure. uh, yeah. the ninth Doctor says to Rose, "You know, did I mention it travels in time?" and all that that brought about with the Father's Day story, uh, to where he is with Martha right towards the end of it, where he's actually a, you know, a soldier of fortune. He's been to an alternate dimension. But with this Danny, uh, it's an about-face. It's, it's complete opposite, uh, in as much as he's been a soldier. We think we've seen him wounded. We think we've seen him limping in the school playground. Now, one of the things that... I think, and I've mentioned this a couple of times, I can totally off the thing, is when he says, you know, I want to, I've been, I survived being a soldier, I want to see more clearly what's in front of me rather than go and see more new things. Yeah. I'm wondering whether indeed he was a soldier that had been a soldier in a different time. Maybe where the soldier blues were from the Dalek episode. Um, and... Uh, why wouldn't he have gone up into the TARDIS? All right, they had the kids to look after. They could have put them on board the TARDIS to go and see this uh, giant, this once-in-a-million-year solar flare. Uh, I mean, solar flares happen much more often than that, but this is presumably uh, an event that would have destroyed the Earth if this this protective Gaia, this little uh, uh, tree spirits or whatever, hadn't come to our rescue. Now... Um, so that was that aspect. We saw an awful lot of character development leading towards where Clara's going to be either at the end of this next two-parter or at Christmas, uh, whether she's going to face this stark choice. Now, the the sister that's missing of this young girl, and she's been communicated from... I mean, she, communicated to, sorry. She, right at the beginning, she comes and knocks on the doctor's childish. She thought... She said she thought it was her teacher's voice that was urging her there. But it was these voices she was hearing yeah. from these little creatures. They they didn't know because the doctor thought they were trying to get to him. But no, they didn't even know about the doctor. They were there before him. They were before, there after him. Now, having said that, we've had the Silence that have been there all the time. We've had uh, the Silurians that have been deep in the earth all the time. A pretty crowded place. We had the Star of <laughs> Christmas that was buried deep in the earth. So, pretty crowded. It's a little bit... And we, also, we, we also got something yeah, in the well, moon, too. Don't forget the moon. <laughs> right. 
Right, exactly. So w- one of the things I thought would have been nice is if actually those little, uh, as you say, for whether you call them fairy or whatever, I think it would have been better if her sister had been, uh, you know, adopted by them. You know, the old, the old C.S. Lewis and fairies and those photographs that were done in the 1920s, the idea that, you know, the fairies would, would take individual children, innocent children, to become one of them. I, I think mm-hmm. it would be nice if she'd have been taken and it was her through this others that was being the communicator. And then at the end, when we do see the reveal and the sisters returned, maybe as a reward for this girl helping them, they'd said that the sister could, you know, go back to her, her you know, a human body as, uh, or whatever. Yeah, it would explain... So, it, it, there was an awful lot... I was just going to... Yeah, yeah it would explain it more than it does, because at the end, it's very much a fairy tale ending, you know, because, you know, we know she she's lost her sister. We don't know, we don't know any information if she ran away, if she was abducted or whatever. It's her sister's gone missing. I think they said last year or something like that. So we have to assume it's been a year or, or close to it. And then magically at the end, you know, she's in a bush and then the bush disappears into the fairy dust and reveals her... You know, again, it was a little too magical for me. You know, it's a little too fairy tale ish. You know, and your explanation, your your theory, what your, uh, you know, possibility that they could have done would have, you know, might have satisfied that a little bit better. It's still fairy tale, but it would have been more consistent at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, there was an awful lot here. I mean, uh, uh, I think you mentioned uh, educational as well. I mean, I'm pretty sure that some of those facts they gave out, I mean, I'm not saying the facts that, you know, uh, this gigantic thing coming towards the Earth would be saved by trees. I mean, we do know that um, magnetic storms were saved by the actual Earth's magnetic field, uh, and people are worried about the magnetic field switching or weakening. Um, but I mean, he, I mean, he talks about that Tunguska. Uh, when that, that's where a meteorite actually exploded in the lower atmosphere. It didn't actually hit the ground; exploded just above the Earth. In actual fact, doing probably more damage than if it had hit. Mm-hmm. And the trees did absorb that impact. Maybe, you know, uh, forty thousand or four hundred thousand trees were flattened, but they were all flattened in these sort of ley lines, showing the the way the thrust. He mentions about the um, thousand kilometres a second that the mass coronal ejection is heading towards Earth. Educational. He mentions, um, you know, we, we learn about tree rings. Uh, the the young girl spots on the tree that the tree has both flowers and yet it has the fruit and the nuts at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally illogical, but that does give educational things to talk. We had a, a further link into the previous episode, didn't we? The um, uh, what was it? The the earthquake. Sorry, the the one that had ended the uh, the bank that they'd gone to in the previous story, uh, the time heist story. Yeah. Um, what was it called? Um, can't remember the name of the bank now, but there was definitely a reference to mm-hmm. the 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 bank that had been uh, uh, destroyed uh, at the end of that episode by that. Uh, that solar flare and that was actually integral to the story plot because the actual uh, flare had actually been uh, part and parcel of that so that was time heist that was the uh, the bank of uh, Karabraxos wasn't it yes so yeah. there were quite mm-hmm. a lot of links in here so what I'm trying to say is 
there were children in the story. I don't really like children in the TARDIS, but that young girl actress, I thought, was uh, extremely good. Abigail Eames, or Ames. Mm-hmm. Um, I did think when she was flapping her arms around, I thought that was a bit poor acting, but, but it was explained by the fact that there were these buzzing in her ears that she was presumably getting at this point uh, and causing confusion. Um, I don't like fairy tales. I mean, we were getting to this point where the trail was disappearing behind them and, and Clara even says we're going to see Hansel and Gretel's house or something like that. But luckily, at least the, the, the animals that pursued them were realistically given a reason for being there. Mm-hmm. London was rather strangely deserted, but... One yeah, I thought so, these too. Kids uh, yeah, yeah, they had woken up at sort of six o'clock in the morning. They'd, they'd woken the night porter from, uh, you know, night in the museum to open the door. Uh, it is near uh, the actual Science Museum. is right on the steps of Trafalgar Square. So presumably that is a holiday touristy place, which is probably fairly uh, bereft of people other than pigeons in the early morning because people are going to their commute. But um, I, I assume that was just a cost thing. Um, I heard from Darth earlier that the, the soundscape on this was exquisite in parts, and really um, some of the, the things that were done in the direction uh, were beautifully uh, realised. I haven't, unfortunately... I used to have a 3D system with the old Dolby ProLogic mm-hmm. days, but not with the Dolby Digital days. I really need to invest in one. Um, yeah, I have. Uh, I, have to, I get it in 5.1. I, you know, I get it on iTunes, which then has it in 5.1. So it's, um, you know, you, you, if you have to set up for it, you you hear it all around you, which yeah. they, they, they've been doing very well right. this this year. You know. Um. So I, I think you're right. Uh, this was probably placed here because we've got a two a darker. Uh, you know, two-season finale coming up. I think this is one that that younger audiences will have enjoyed. There's a lot for them to identify and get into. To say, you know, it did have so many kids in it, they weren't... I mean, like Dinosaurs in a a Spaceship, I didn't particularly like that when we we heard that these kids were going away on this trip, and I was just hoping and pleading it will just be one episode. Here we've got a built-in... Uh, thing that they are the class. There's no likelihood of them joining, you know, the Doctor on a weekly basis. So I, I, I could live with that. Uh, but I don't particularly engage in this fairy tale. But I do know that the, the Gaia idea is quite a strong one. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, didn't like the fact that we had audio when we were having the Earth being blow, blasted. I didn't like the fact that the Doctor in space was still hearing the audio from that and why the, the seas were covered in green. They, they never said that that was other vegetation. It definitely said this was only tree growth that was was coming to the it Earth. It was rescue. seaweed. So it was a bit of, <laughs> uh, well, it was a bit of a mixed bag for me. Um, I think it was a lot better than I was worried it was going to turn out at one point. Uh, I think it was a very middle-of-the-road story, but I think it was lavishly produced. There's a lot to commend it. Mm -hmm. And um, I think think Robert of Sherwood was a poorer episode to me. So I I, I, I would think that was the weakest. This may but it, be, it held my attention. Know, I, I have to say that Robert, the right. robot of Sherwood, at least hold, held my attention through it. Here, I, I started 
wandering a bit, you know, and uh, I, I th- that that was a deciding marker there. I, again, I, I think there's a lot to commend. Like you said, I um, there's a lot a lot of good things to to talk about and a lot of th- you know um, what they could have done. You had mentioned about London feel, looking a little sparse and not having any people. They they could have had maybe because they actually went to a wooded area and they brought you know they they didn't bring the trees to London they they brought they went to a forest and they brought elements of London into the forest so they they brought the the underground um signs and and all you know bus stops and everything else you know was brought into the yeah. forest um but maybe they could have brought some extras just you know they could have stumbled up you know maybe just saw people wandering around other londoners you know um wandering around in it or maybe they could have bumped into people that were unrelated to the story just saying oh what's 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 going on and all that and you know just just to add some to give an element that it is a city and there's lots of people right right well they did that i mean in um in the the film if you've seen the howard kill film um they're the triffids you know where, mm-hmm. where everyone's wandering around you know that's blind you know they're, they're sort of they're each trying to, they're each in their own world trying to get back to their own thing and find food. You could have had a few disoriented people like that, or uh, even going back to the um, the first Doctor story, you know, where it's um, you know Earth where the da- uh, Daleks have landed in uh, mm-hmm. was it two thousand and whenever it was. Yeah, I, I know uh, the story you're talking about. The, the one where Susan Le- Susan leaves, yeah. Uh, and we have the devastated London there. But I'm sure it was down to a cost reason. So there was a lot to commend this, uh, and to say it was uh, distinctly a fairy tale, I'm surprised I actually liked it as much as I did. Um, But whereas the thing that you liked in the robots one, uh, which was, to me, a little bit too silly slapstick humour, and I didn't like the the way they'd, they'd used the golden arrow and... Uh, and didn't seem consistent with that, and they'd, they'd made the uh, they'd made Robin Hood look like a robot the way he'd fired his arrows a few times. Uh, here, I felt it was the actual dialogue, the narration and dialogue was actually building up to some quite useful things. We found a lot more insight into to uh, the Danny Pink character. I still think he's going to turn out to have been. Uh, a soldier in a future war. I think he's been in space. That's the only reason why I feel as though he could have turned down this this trip well, in the TARDIS. Yeah. He, he seems very the... uninterested so, in in the you know he's definitely disinterested in the TARDIS and um, you know and, and the Doctor and, and it doesn't seem to have any curiosity about it at all really you know and he seems to kind of just put up with it just for Clara's sake. Well, I, that's what I'm thinking. I think he doesn't have any curiosity because he's already had his fill of it. It's he's possible. actually been there, done yeah. that, got the though, T-shirt. Though we're, we're at, so. we're, we're at you know, episode 10 now in a series of 12, and we still haven't, you know, if that is the case, we, it still hasn't been revealed yet. So I don't know if they're saving it or, 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 or not. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know where it's going. It seems to be going very slowly where right. it's going. Yeah, I mean that's my that's my brother-in-law's main criticism of it, Gary. That um, you know, at least with the Matt Smith Doctor Eleventh Hour, you know, is the Doctor on Episode One? You know what I mean? Uh, the Christmas Invasion, the Tenth Doctor is the Doctor, end of Episode One. Um, now, my explanation to him was he didn't really buy it was the fact that you know, the 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 Eleventh Doctor spent you know, six hundred eight hundred years on one 
planet trying to defend it as a last stronghold. He didn't think he had any more regenerations left in him. He was basically just holding out as long as he possibly could. Here we have a doctor uh, blasted by maybe 12 regenerations, maybe an unlimited number of regenerations. We know from the beginning that he's asked Martha that he doesn't really know who he is. Is he a good man or not? Uh, uh, Martha, uh, Clara. And also Clara, we don't know how much of Clara knows about her, her fractured self. Um, but mm -hmm. that looks as though it's going to be uh, revealed. I mean, I do know some people that thought that the best part of this episode was not the episode itself, but the trailer for what's coming up. But part of this episode, I shouldn't say that, that because part of this episode was the, the little scene with Missy. Uh, what did you think of that part, Lois? Well, so, I mean, it, does, it didn't really give you too much insight. She just said, you know, um, that was surprising. I, 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 I love surprises. So it kind of, you know, the, the theory we were talking about last week about maybe her being the doctor and all that, and, and this, I mean, she would have remembered, I mean, I, I don't know, I, that kind of blows that out of the water because uh, she seemed surprised about that, where everything else, um, it seemed like... Well... <laughs> Like it was a first hand. expression wasn't very surprised, was it? It was, uh, that's surprising, but in a very bored way. Which, yeah. again, that reminded me of Shaw. I love surprises. Thank you, Kyle. Um, uh, that, that was very much like the sort of thing that the Eternals would say in Enlightenment. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the Doctor couldn't surprise them. They could always second guess what the Doctor was doing. There were no surprises for them, which was why they had the humans there to almost you know, get, amuse them like the gods would be amused. Um, so well, we'll see. Well, Carl's in the queue. Um, um, we'll get him on. Um, I want to uh, remind everyone you can call in while we're doing the live show to the live number on TalkShoe, which is uh, 724-444-7444. And the show call ID number is 23358. So again, um, we do this on well for the you know for the next couple of weeks at least. Um, we do this on Sundays at four o'clock Eastern time. Not we're, um, I think the last week or so we'll be changing to standard time. So Eastern time, I'll just leave it at that. Um, you can call seven two four 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 seven four four four, and the call ID for the show is two three three five eight. And if you're calling in and you're not on TalkShoe and you want to chime in. Star eight will put you in the queue. Um, otherwise, on the website, you can you can do it through uh, the TalkShoe uh, live client, uh, like the Live Pro client. You can put yourself in the queue. Oh, so you giving it three out of five, Tardis Groans? Yeah, I, I, I think on the first watch I was two and a half. Uh, I think I'm heading up towards a three. Well, like I said, my, my with everything, it can change over time. I, like I said, I, I really wish you know. The, I didn't have. I, I wish there was more time between seeing it the first time. Uh, I, as I had mentioned, I watched them through uh, iTunes, and iTunes doesn't release them until uh, between three and three thirty in the morning. And then, um, so you download and you watch it, and then um, you, you know. So it's it doesn't give you a lot of time to uh, to digest and, and and mull over the episode. Um, you know, it's, it's just the, the nature of the beast. I mean, I I wish it comes to a point where. 
you know, at nine, you know, at there could be one time where everything's released all at once and the planet could be united as a whole because I, I have to avoid social media as well before, you know, because I don't want to get spoiled. So uh, it'd be nice if, um, you know, as soon as it's transmitted on in the UK, it's available everywhere at the same time. It would be it would be a nice world when that time comes instead of having them scat started staggered out, though it's a lot better than it was. You know, oh, you, I was going to say we're we're really you've been a bit picky there. I know, I know, it's but hey, vastly superior, <laughs> vastly superior to what it used to be. Oh yeah, I know, <laughs> I know it all too well. I mean, and then decades, forget about years ago, but decades ago it was even worse. You know, where you had to wait to the PBS station here in the U.S. to get it, and we we had um, this um, underground system of of tapes. And we had friends in the UK that, uh, you know, because of the differences between PAL and, and NTCS, you couldn't just take a ta- couldn't just take a tape that was recorded on a uh, UK VHS and bring it to you had to, it had to be transferred. And if you didn't have the equipment, fans would just take a camera and shoot it at a TV screen, and then you get this image that's flickering and it gives you headaches. But it was new Doctor Who, and we had to watch it, and we endured the the mind grains just to see a new episode. <laughs> the things yeah, we... well, poor Ian, when he was in New Zealand, was like about three years uh, behind. I yeah, well, that's why I'm one, saying we, one, we couldn't wait one that long. Sorry, they saw first. Yeah, we, yeah. we we got it other ways, you know, and then eventually we got it the the proper way. We saw how it was proper, you know, how it used, you know, properly presented. But in in those early days, while you were waiting, you would get these tapes. That's that's that you had a, a friend in the UK point a video camera a camcorder at the TV screen and you get this flickering headache inducing um, thing that you don't want everyone to see again. But it was like I said, it was the only way to see new Doctor Who. Uh, you mean allegedly did that? Yeah, well, you know, in that time, since that time, we've all bought the VHS copies, the DVDs. We've seen it on, on, on you know, when it was broadcast on PBS. We, we supported our, our PBS station, so I, I don't think I, I... Pay for it on iTunes. Yes, yeah. Hi, this is Fraser Hines, and you're listening to a Doctor Who Podshock. We'll be right back with our review of In the Forest of the Night. But first, as always, we'd like to remind our listeners about Audible. Audible is the premier provider of digital audiobooks. Audible has over 150,000 titles to choose from in all different genres, be it science fiction, be it Doctor Who, they have a couple over a couple hundred Doctor Who titles, um, be it business, thrillers, comedy, romance, Audible has it covered. Audible titles will play on your iPhone, including the new iPhone 6, or if you have an older phone, iPhone, or a Kindle, or an Android, or uh, um, even the, um, the Amazon's uh, Fire Phone. Uh, over 500 devices for listening anytime and anywhere. And uh, for you, yes, you, I'm talking to you, listeners of Dr. Who Podshock, Audible is offering a free audiobook download. Yes, a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial, so you have a chance to check out their service. If you decide it's not for you, fine, you can cancel and keep your free audiobook. To download your free audiobook, simply go to audibletrial.com slash Again, that's Audible. 
trial, one word, audibletrial.com slash podshock for your free audiobook. And if you're listening in your car or you can't get to that URL right now, have no fear. Go to our website, go to our website and you can find links to it there as well. And we like to, um, as always, make a recommendation or a referral or what your possible free audiobook could be, and we try to somehow make it relate to whatever we're talking about in this episode of Dr. Upadchok, which sometimes is more or less possible than other times. So, um, so yeah, so plants, forests, trees have engulfed the earth in this story. So um, we could um, we could choose a... There are Doctor Who stories that uh, where the Doctor has encountered alien uh, plant life before, uh, be it um, seeds of death or seeds of doom. Uh, there's um, uh, Meglos. There's uh, well, there, there's a few titles there, but none of those are uh, available as an audiobook and um, on Audible. Uh, there's also. Um, William Blake, who's uh, who wrote the poem "Tiger, Tiger," which this title divide, derives its title from. There's a couple audio books about um, about his poetry. You could choose uh, one of those if you like. So, but going back to Doctor Who, uh, this story takes place, or at least it, it starts off in a museum. So, why don't we go to a story that has a museum? And a rose, not trees, but at least it has a rose. Okay, all right, it's not a rose, a flower rose, but it has the companion rose, who is, uh, I'm speaking of Doctor Who, The Stone Rose. It's by Jacqueline Rayner, and it's narrated by one and only David Tennant. It's, as you can probably put together, it's a 10th Doctor story with uh, Rose and Mickey as companions, and... um. Basically, um, Mickey finds a statue of Rose in a museum, a statue that's 2,000 years old. So uh, the doctor realizes that this means the TARDIS will shortly take them to ancient Rome. But when it does, he and Rose soon have more on their minds than the sculpture. Well, let's hear a little bit from this right now. Once again, this is uh, Doctor Who, The Stone Rose by Jacqueline Rayner. And it's narrated by David Tennant. Tell you what, though, said Jackie, she's wearing your earrings. Rose took off one and held it up by the statue's ear. Identical. That's incredible, she said. So detailed. She slipped the real earring into the pocket of her denim jacket and grinned. Looks like I've got a future ahead of me as an artist's model. I've always fancied that. She found it quite hard to tear herself away from her stone double, but as the doctor pointed out, if she stayed there looking at it forever, then it would never get made, and they'd all be swallowed up in a terrible paradox. So she let herself be led away. They lost the doctor in the Egyptian section again, and Jackie went off to see if she could find a postcard of her stone daughter. Rose and Mickey stood together in the entrance, waiting. So how'd you find out about it? Asked Rose, after a few moments' silence. Oh, your usual haunt this, is it? Mickey seemed embarrassed, looking down at the floor. She opened her eyes wide. What? Come on, tell me. Mickey put back his shoulders, attempting a bit of bravado. Well, I've been doing this volunteer stuff, you know, kids and that. Rose laughed delightedly. But that's brilliant! He shrugged. Well, 
There's you off doing good all round the universe. Just thought I'd do a bit at home, that's all. The doctor was approaching them now. Don't tell him, Mickey hissed. Rose sighed, exasperated. Yeah, cos being a nice person's so uncool, isn't it? But she couldn't help reaching up and giving Mickey a quick peck on the cheek. You old softy. Jackie joined them, her postcard hunt having proved unsuccessful, and the four of them made their way out into the sunshine. Well, bye for now. Take care. Don't do anything I wouldn't, said the doctor as they reached the bottom of the museum steps, holding out a hand to Mickey. What? You off already? Better give me time to say hello to my only daughter before you're dragging her away again, complained Jackie, hands on hips. We love to stay, said the doctor, insincerely, putting a hand on Rose's shoulder. Love to, love to, love, love, love to, but I'm afraid we have a date to keep. We have, said Rose. Would have thought that was obvious, said the doctor. You and me are off to ancient Rome. The TARDIS landed. Rose was now wearing an ankle-length dress in pale blue with a dark blue shawl draped over her head. The doctor wore a plain white tunic that ended at the knees, his sonic screwdriver stuck absurdly in his belt. That's how we are in ancient Rome, said Rose. You'll get lynched if you hang round the estate dressed like that. The doctor peered up at the skyline. Aha! See that? He indicated an enormous pillar with the figure of a man on top, just visible above the roofs of the tenement blocks surrounding them. Trajan's Column, definitely Rome. But I don't think we've landed in the nicest part of town. I'll say we haven't, exclaimed Rose, as a cry rang out from a nearby street. They began running towards the sound. Three young men were crowded round an elderly bearded man. He lay on the ground, staring up in fear at the dagger that was being waved in his face. Uh, excuse me, gentlemen began the doctor, confidently striding forwards. They turned to look, and Rose took advantage of the distraction. There was a pile of clay jars in the doorway next to her, and one soon found itself hurtling towards the muggers. Soon they were racing off down the street, shards of pottery clinging to their hair and clothes. Ha! Rose called after them, as the doctor helped the old man to his feet. Thank you so much, he said, weakly. Nears Fabius Gracilis at your service. You all right? Rose asked him. Did those blokes nick anything? The man shook his head, but the effort seemed to make him lose his balance. The doctor stepped in and caught him. Whoa! I don't think you are all right, are you? I must confess I feel slightly dizzy, Gracilis said. The doctor frowned. Really? When did you last have anything to eat? He looked thoughtful. You know, I have no idea. Yesterday, perhaps? Then before you do anything else, a bite to eat and a sit-down are on the menu. But Gracilis shook his head. No, 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 I must continue my search. The doctor was gentle but firm, almost as if he was a real doctor. Food and rest. And then, well, Rose and I are fond of a good search, aren't we, Rose? Love them, said Rose. So you tell us what we're looking for, and we'll look for it with you. Deal? Uh, said Gracilis. But the doctor had already grabbed his hand and shaken it. Deal. Yeah, okay, so it was maybe a stretch relating it to uh, In the Forest of the Night, but hey, it's a museum. <laughs> They're both, uh, and, uh, and Rose is there, and Rose is, uh, well, there were bushes, and not rose bushes, but there were. All right, okay, I'm playing with the name Rose. Anyway, this could be your free audiobook, or you could select whatever you like that they have to offer for your free selection. To download your free audiobook, simply go to audibletrial.com slash Again, that's audible, 
trial.com slash podchock for your free audiobook. And now let's return to our live review of In the Forest of the Night. Maeve, can you see something that we can't see? Lily, too fast everywhere. Everything is subject to gravity. If I can create a little local increase. No, you are not experimented on... They're lovely. They don't like it when you're holding them. They want you to let them go. Who are they? We are here. Here always since the beginning and until the end. That's it. We are the green shoots that grow between the cracks. The grass that grows over the mass graves. After your wars are over, we will still be here. We are the life that prevails. Why now? Why are you here now? We hear the call and we come. As we came before to the great new forest. Where we lie still in a great circle. As we came to the vast southern forest. Who's calling you now? The sun creates, the sun destroys. You are hurting us. Let us go. He sent for me. The girl came looking for me. Why? Why me? We did not send. Pain did not send for you. We don't know you. We were here before you and will be here after you. So uh, that's the tree intelligence that we still don't know what that's all about. You know, whether, you know, it it says we were always here and we always will be here, but it seems like they leave after the crisis is over. At least um, everything, that's how it appears visually. Yes, it does look as though they leave the planet, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. But I'm going to take it that it's Gaia, whatever Gaia is. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, as always, uh, we want to hear from you. This is a live show, so we welcome live callers and live feedback. Um, As always, Podshock supporting subscribers will be bumped up in the queue, so we do appreciate the support. And um, so um, in the queue is returning, I should say, to the show is Kyle. Hey Kyle, thanks for holding on so long. I know it's it's been a um, a long wait. No problem, absolutely no problem. I've been sitting patiently inside of a bush, just waiting for <laughs> the right moment to just you know come on out and stay what I think. So now the, the Gaia has gone away, and I'm ready to talk. So um, l- l- let's start with speaking of the bush. That was one of the only things that I did not like in the overall show was at the very end where the sister just miraculously appeared. I thought that was very predictable. Now, now did it these was creatures almost like cheesy. Did, did, do you think that these creatures brought her there and then revealed that she, I mean, obviously she's been gone for a year or close to a year. She's not been in the bush all that time. We don't know what, what where she's been. So, do we are we are to assume that well, these tree creatures, these tree, this guy or whatever intel- entity that this is, found her and brought her there 
and so that maid would find her? Well, I think you. I think they left it open to interpretation. You, mm-hmm. On one hand, you've got where uh, the little girl is saying to her sister, "Come home," and this is being broadcast simultaneously across the world. So you know, you could look at it from one way and say, "Hey, guess what? She did come home because she heard that she wanted to come home." We'd never find out why she disappeared. In, in the beginning, so that's a little bit far-fetched, but it's equally as far-fetched that the um, tree creatures just miraculously brought her back. So that was one of the things that I did not like. Um, what I did like, uh, I loved the, at the beginning one of Capaldi's jokes where he said, you know, do you have an appointment with the doctor? Oh, yes. That just, that just tied in with, um, I think it was when Rivers said, and a good man goes to war, uh, doctor, the, the word for healer and wise man across the universe, we get that word from you, you know. It's, I just thought it was another nod to the physician, doctor title, all stemming from him. So I thought that was kind of cool. Um, the scenery, you know, this, I know some of it obviously was CGI, and then, of course, they... Um, did it in the forest, but absolutely love the scenery. That was my highlight, to be honest with you, of the entire show mm-hmm. was how yeah. good the job was, uh, you know, of the scenery. And I will say this: I really, really, really like seeing the red telephone booth, and I was very glad I didn't miss seeing that. And mm-hmm. I have a feeling I'll really enjoy that. I, you know, in the future episodes, I think I'll like having seen that. Uh, one thing I wanted to note on was Danny and Clara. Uh, as far as teaching goes, I don't think they, they're turning out to be very good teachers in the sense of they lost one of their students and didn't even realize it. So I think that was a little, whether it's sleeping over or not, you still, one of your special students is, they kept referring to her, you mm-hmm. lost her. And they didn't, need, there was no recollection that they had lost her. So I, I, that says, hmm, how, how good of a teacher are you? Um, Let's see. The, in regards to uh, Missy at the end, I mean, I know we've gone back and forth saying, are we seeing too much of Missy? Are we not seeing too much of Missy? Well, with only two episodes left, and obviously she's in the next episode from the trailer, but, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's time. And I, I just thought, you know, it was appropriate, to be honest with you. I wish I would have, there would have been a little bit more than just that little one line or two you know, line teasers that she had. So, um, you know, overall, I really can't comment that much on the story itself because I agree with everything both of you said. You know, I, I personally enjoyed the episode a lot better than I liked the Robots of Sherwood. I I just liked it better. But it, were there a lot of meat, you know, was there a lot of meat to it? I think last week's episode had a lot more character in it than this episode. I agree with both of you also that we've not seen everything there is to Danny. And, you know, I know there's Internet rumors as to, you know, Danny's this, Danny's that, or Danny's, Danny may just be from the future. Danny may just be normal. I don't know. But I do think they're leading us to think what's going on with Danny. And, uh, you know, I agree with that. So what would my rating be? I would give it probably a three TARDIS groans out of five. Oh, very good. Oh, right. Same as me, right. 
Yep. So we've got. I have a feeling our discussion next week will be a little more lively than than or a little bit more uh, meat, as as we were saying to to the overall story. I have a feeling that we'll we'll have a lot more to talk about next week. I'm sure we will. Yeah, with, with uh, what we see in the trailer, which was a lot. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Right. Yeah. Absolutely a lot. So yes, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what happens the next two weeks, and uh, you know, overall, I think it's turned out to be a good series. But um, you know, I'm really excited as I'm I'm anxious and excited for the next two weeks. So that's good, and you know, I can't wait to talk to you guys about it. But well, since you both brought up Robot Assured, okay. um, the thing that I haven't seen it since the the week that we reviewed it. So you know, since the, since it came out, so I I saw it maybe two or three times that week, whatever. But I haven't I haven't returned to it that well. The same goes with the other episodes as well. Um, but I think I mean when I think about that, the the thing that the the most negative thing that I remember from that, um, you know, it was was the the constant bickering between the doctor and um, and. Um, and 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 Robin, Robin. Well, no, Robin. Robin. Oh, they, Robin they were Robin. they were yeah, 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 they yeah. were constantly competing with each other, and it just seemed to grate a little bit. It seemed like it, they just went a little bit because she, he didn't believe he was real, and so they, they would and and they just seemed to be constantly going after each other, and and um, you know, and as I explained in the review, maybe it was because the the doctor was seeing a lot of similarities of himself there, and and. and Usually, when people see other people like that, that remind them of themselves, that usually go, usually it repels them a little. So uh, maybe they were exploring that, but it just seemed like it just went on a little bit too far. So I, that's um, again, maybe um, there's more to it that I didn't like when, if upon watching it again. But um, well, here's how, in hindsight, after I've watched an episode and and that episode has gone by from week to week. The way I will gauge how much I really, really, and I mean really like the episode is, will I load it on my phone and Bluetooth it and listen to it as an audio book as I'm driving to work or to somewhere else? The only two episodes that I've done that with this season have been Deep Breath and uh, Kill the Moon. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's that's my gauge because that's, that's one way I memorize a lot of what they say is I'll yeah. listen to it driving. Oh, and sure. those are the yeah. only two I've listened to driving uh, this season. So that's that's part of my how I scale things. And those are the two that I've scaled to you know load to my phone this year. So there you go. Mm-hmm. All right, thank you, Kyle. I always appreciate your insight and good deal. Thanks. Yeah, good. Uh, I mean, the, the, there could be a slight argument with that that uh, some of the good episodes can be quite highly visual, can't they? Where they may not play out so well. Although I must admit, uh, I'm getting a ringing. Is that coming over? Not me. No, I'm not hearing it. Okay. Right. Okay. Um, uh, Having said that, as I say, working on those clips, it is amazing how much you can pick up just listening to the audio, where you sort of... uh, Oh, absolutely. I mean, obviously, once you've you've watched it, you've got the visuals in your head anyway. Right. um, Absolutely. uh, Yeah. Okay. Well, guys, I will see you next week in time and space, and you you all have a good week. You too. Thanks again Thank for you, everything, Kyle. Kyle. Thanks. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. 
Okay, so uh, let's play one more clip from this episode, and then we'll talk about next week. Big solar flare headed this way, a thousand kilometers a second. It's brewing up a solar wind big enough to blow this whole planet away. I assumed your teachers have mentioned this. I thought it would spoil an otherwise enjoyable walk. Well, this is the bad news. The good news is it's happened before. And you're still here. The Tunguska blast, 1908. That should have blown the whole planet off its axis, but it didn't. Whenever there's a planet threatening extraterrestrial impact, trees, massive forest, filling the atmosphere with oxygen, pumping it up like a massive, highly inflammable airbag, so that when trouble hits, everyone dies. No, the impact burns off the excess oxygen. You have some fairly hectic weather for a few days and some fairly trippy looking sunsets, but apart from that, you will be all right. I was wrong. The trees are not your enemy. They're your shield. They've been saving you since forever, protecting you from everything that space can throw at you. I don't get it. If they're good, then why are we chopping them down? The government is sending out defoliating teams. They're dropping chemicals on them right now. What is it with you people? You hear voices, you want to shut them up. The trees come to save you. You want to chop them down. Well, you think you need to save the world when it's already saving itself? I did admit that I was wrong. Excellent. Mobile networks are still operative. Right. We are going to call everyone on Earth and tell them to leave the trees alone. Can I do it? There's a, a not in that no. scene. There's a, another scene in this story where the doctor uh, turns Clara's words around to um, on her. You know when he, um, when he speaks to about when he speaks of Earth being that it was being that his planet. You know that he um, it's it's my world too. I, I walk the Earth. I breathe in the air. You know which is uh, mm. a response to uh, what Clara had uh, said to him in Kill the Moon, where he said, you know where. Um, it's, it's, you know, he, he was um, turning that, turning those words around to her. Yeah, I mean, there's some lovely little pieces within the storyline. There's some lovely little uh, we get conversations between Clara and and Danny and the Doctor and uh, even the Doctor and Danny and Doctor and Clara. So I think I think this is not an important episode in terms of the story but I think it's an episode that if we hadn't had or didn't have you know we'd be missing a piece of the jigsaw I'm not saying this is um, you know meaning that we're actually in a trilogy here but you do know that we've had um, we've had a couple of series haven't we where where like um, what's uh, what's one I can think of was it Utopia where that was like what a standalone episode before a two-parter, but it basically launched the two-parter that followed. And we've had a few stories like that. Now, I'm not saying that this launches the two-parter, but I think this is dialogue that wanted to be said or needed to be said that would have slowed down maybe a big action two-parter finale and may illuminate, if indeed Clara makes the decision before Christmas, Either way, then what is being said on this episode? Maybe what what is the sounding board that will clarify some decision made uh, either in the two next episodes, or maybe 
if it needs to be the Christmas episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Indeed. So, um, so speaking of, of next week's episode, uh, um, was there anything more that you wanted to say about this episode before we go to next week's? No, I was just going to ask anybody in the room to put any ratings yes, in. Yes, please do. Thanks. So, uh, so yes, yeah, so this leads us to next week, and here's a little uh, sound bite for next time. Carla? Do I have your attention? You will never step inside your TARDIS again. Carla, what are you doing? Time can be rewritten. I'm not Clara Oswald. Clara Oswald has never existed. So, some interesting little tidbits in there. Clara, my Clara, Mm, who never really existed. So, uh, it's going to be really interesting on, on how this unfolds and... What's the story with Clara? And oh, oh ne- our next week's going to be very irritating because it's not going to give any answers. Well, uh, you're probably right. You, it's probably going to open up a whole series of questions which won't be answered until the following week. Because it's a Indeed. two-parter, obviously. And uh, even though we don't get to hear it on that sound clip, visually you will see, um, I, I guess... It's not a spoiler because if you've seen the trailer, you know um, the Cybermen are back. And this was um, what I was alluding to uh, last week or maybe two episodes ago, you know, saying that, you know, I didn't want to give it away, but that there were, there were shots, there were photos, of production shots, whatever, of them. Um, of it, you, know, they were sh- you know, I knew they were coming, but I wasn't sure exactly when. Yeah, well, now you've mentioned that, one thing I do hope that Missy isn't is the Cyber King. Oh yeah, we, we had that. Um, we had that before. Uh, yeah. Uh, should I say the controller of the Cyber King, which was the lady that was cr- recruited before in Victorian England? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess you know. But I don't want that. We're going to find out. We'll get to the, hopefully we'll get to the bottom of this Missy thing. And um, as you said, it won't be next week. It'll probably be the following week. But at least things will start to unravel next week. So looking forward to next week. And for those listening to the the recording later, we do have a number of people still in the room. We we had uh, quite a few before, but they're all a bit shy to put ratings in. But oh, um, all right. Well, assuming that they haven't got strong opinions on this particular one, uh, I, I do think that for some people they've they, they have felt as though. You know the the stories have been building up very nicely. I mean, I'm not saying there's a consensus, but um, uh, you know, for for the previous nine episodes, I felt as though there's been a a real strong development of this series, and uh, and, and an argument could be made that series eight has been one of the best series for some time, um, and maybe some people feel as though. You know, the foot's just being taken off the pedal a little bit with this one. But I think that is often the case prior to maybe what is a climactic two-parter. Yeah, yeah. You do have a, a more 
you know, uh, less stressful, well, more yeah. As I sideways look yeah. at the doctor. As I always say, it's it's the quiet before the storm. You know, it's, it's uh, they yep. they kind of ease you down before things start. You know, it's it's sort of like that roller coaster. You're climbing up and climbing up, and you know, there's not much going on as as the you know as you're climbing up the the you know uphill you know not hill but up ramp whatever it is and then it lets you down and then everything goes everything goes to hell <laughs> but but no i think you i think it's a fair point for about this i mean it, it may be premature to review the series as a whole you know because we still have two episodes more to go and and um i don't know if you want to count the christmas episode as part of the series but um but i i think it's fair enough to say that up to now i think there were a lot of um, callbacks to Doctor Who of old, and um, and and I enjoyed that. Uh, I think I think what I really would like to have is some good old fashioned adventures, though, without the soap operas. I mean, not to say that I, I think it's good that we're dealing with relationships, um, and I think we can explore the Doctor's relationship with Clara. Now, when when they first brought Clara in when Jenna Louise, at that time was General Louise Coleman, uh, was brought into the series. You know, it was made clear that her character, Clara, wasn't going to have any lusting over the Doctor, and it wasn't going to be that. But even even still, that's, okay, that turned out to be the case, And but um, but they're still, we're still struggling with her relationship with the Doctor, and the Doctor's relationship with her, and then Danny Pink, and... Um, and I'm not saying that's bad. I'm saying that we can do that, but I would just like to have maybe a series of episodes that are just good old-fashioned adventures without that getting bogged down so much, you know? Um, it's just, And I know this has been an argument or has been a, a point that some people have made since the series came back in 20, 2005 and 2005, where the companion seems to sometime overshadow the Doctor, and uh, as much as I love Clara and love General Louise Coleman or Jenna Coleman, um, sometimes it feels like this is um, Dr. Clara, not Dr. Who. You know, <laughs> sometimes it just seems. I mean, I understand the companion role is supposed to be uh, how we, the viewers, see the Doctor. You know, it's supposed to be how. You know, we, we have yet to have an alien companion. It's always an Earth person. You know, and I think we're. I think we, we're we're at the point now where the next companion could be a Northworlder. It could be, you know, it doesn't necessarily, you know, we can relate to people that aren't necessarily from Earth, and it, and it doesn't have to be the forefront, you know. We're we're always back on Earth, you know, and the Doctor has to come back and pick up this companion. It's it's no longer the, the traditional the, the companions traveling with the Doctor, and so I don't know. I I just again I'm not. I'm complaining that that we have relationships, relationships, and we're dealing with them. But it's just sometimes it seems to bog things down a bit, and I think we can take a little break from that from time to time and just just have an all-out good adventure and um, and and have that take a more of a backseat role. Right. I mean, I've always wanted to say that I didn't want the companion to be the most important person in the world, uh, and I don't think this post-fractured. Uh, Clara is the most important person, but it is focusing a lot on her. But of course, the doctor asked her the question, Am I a good man? So we're seeing it from that point of view. But I must admit, I just think this is such a very, very strong companion. She's in 
my top three companions. Mm-hmm. I oh think. yeah, it, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, I mean, uh, there's only Sarah Jane and Jamie. I'd probably even put above that. I mean, she to me is a fabulous, fabulous companion, uh, and portrayed by a brilliant actress. And uh, so, for that reason, uh, it, it's affected my judgment on that. But yes, we. I'm hoping that Capaldi signed up for three years, and I'm hoping it will be more and more Doctor centric as we go forward. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see where things go. But and um, I mean, w- whatever negativities there are for this season, for me, it doesn't lie with Peter Capaldi or uh, to, I, I think there's a lot. I don't know. I, I just well, well, we'll talk about it more when we come to the point where we, we do a whole series review. But um, but that's just my realization right now is that, um, you know, maybe what's holding its back, what, the reason why. It has for some people that Peter Capaldi doesn't didn't feel like the Doctor until several episodes in is because he wasn't really put you know the the limelight wasn't put on him you know it was sort of he was sort of like having to fight his way through and again I'm not putting down Clara or General Louise but it seems like that was taking the forefront of 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 things more so than than him if that makes any sense. Okay. Yeah, I think we perhaps should leave it at that point. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll be back next week for uh, I think it's Doc. Is it Doc Waters? I believe is the next. Um... Dark water. Dark Not water. Plural, dark All water. Right. Okay, so I was close. <laughs> Doc, only one water, not not multiple waters. So dark water is is the title for next week. We'll be back reviewing that as always. Um, Dave, you can catch him on the Colton Collective as well, where he does a fine show, uh, him and Ian uh, hosting that every Sundays at um, 2 on Talk Show, Talk Shoe. Two. And uh, that's 2 Eastern yep. Time. And you can also catch it after the fact on uh, various talk, uh, various pod shop, <laughs> various podcast clients. <laughs> oh. You did so well as well. <laughs> I think I'm going to give it up. All right, that's it. So uh, thanks, everyone. Thanks to all the Podshock supporting subscribers. As always, if you'd like to become a Podshock supporting subscriber, go to our website, podshock.net or arttrap.com. You'll find information there on how to do that. Also, on podshock.net, you'll see uh, on on the top there a tab for feedback. You can send um, your feedback for you know doesn't doesn't you can send a review for this episode but it could be anything related to doctor who there's a doctor who pachak public call box uh the number um is still 206-337-4699 that operates all 24 hours a day or how many hours in your day it's basically a, a voicemail system but i do urge people to go to our website just in case that because that number does change from time to time and um just to check there to see what the current number is as right now it's 206-337-4699 you could always send feedback to feedback at pachak.net right so I guess that's it for this week um, make sure you water your plants and, um, and and pick whatever fruits and nuts they have to bear whatever that means <laughs> <laughs> You're talking to a sleep-deprived man here. All right. So until next time, cheers, everyone. Bye-bye. Goodbye, Dave.
Duncan. You have been listening to Doctor Who Podshock, presented to you by the fan-run GallifreyNMC.org. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Doctor Who Podshock theme music by Jeff Smith at thejeffsmith.com. This has been a production of Art Trap Productions and has been made possible by supporting subscribers and donations from listeners like you. This podcast is also supported by the Podchuck Podcast Companion app now in the iTunes App Store. Visit arttrap.com for more information on this and other podcasts. What is it with you people? You hear voices, you want to shut them up. The trees come to save you. You want to chop them down.